For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, we'll join members and guests of the Tustin Heritage Community Garden as they volunteer to clean up garden beds getting ready for winter. From our recent conversation, Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm in Northeast Pennsylvania shares his garden bed soil regenerative method. And I share a bit of cultural history on the garden habits of the Lenape Indians. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country, but first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. Death tolls from the Gaza Health Ministry show Israeli bombardment has killed thousands of civilians in the parts of the Gaza Strip that Israel ordered them to flee to. NPR's Ruth Sherlock reports on information gathered by NPR from satellite data and expert analysis. Expert analysis shows Israel ordered civilians to, quote, evacuate to central and southern parts of the Gaza Strip, only to then step up its aerial attacks there. The latest analysis of imagery from the European Space Agency's Sentinel-1 satellite shows over 10,000 buildings are likely to have been damaged or destroyed by airstrikes in these areas. Experts say 94% of the destruction comes after Israel told civilians to evacuate to these areas on October 13th. The United Nations Humanitarian Affairs Office says more than 3,600 people were killed in these areas. That's one-third of the total death toll of the war as tallied by the Gaza Ministry of Health. Ruth Sherlock, NPR News. There were cheers at SpaceX headquarters this morning as the company Tess launched its giant Starship rocket, but both the booster and the spacecraft were lost to explosions in the minutes following liftoff. SpaceX says the ship reached space, but that it believes a self-destruct system was activated over the Gulf of Mexico. The first test flight in April also ended in an explosion. Elon Musk, meanwhile, is threatening to file what he's calling a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and others after the Watchdog Group said this week that Corporate ads on Musk's ex-social media platform were being placed alongside anti-Semitic content. Media Matters president and CEO Angelo Garrison says X is now facing a backlash after major American companies, including Disney, Apple, and IBM, pulled their ads. Both Apple and IBM are in the top five. I mean, they are disproportionately responsible for most of Twitter, you know, for a large chunk of Twitter's revenue. Musk says he will file his lawsuit first thing Monday morning. After an NPR investigation into a COVID forbearance program, the Department of Veterans Affairs is halting foreclosures for six months on VA home loans. Here's NPR's Quill Lawrence. During the pandemic, Congress established ways for homeowners with federally backed loans to defer paying their mortgage, a forbearance for six or 12 months, and then get current again without major penalties. But the VA in October of 2022 abruptly ended its program that allowed people an affordable way to get caught up, leaving thousands of veterans facing foreclosure. After an NPR investigation last week, a group of senators wrote the VA urging a pause in foreclosures until the VA creates a new program. Late Friday afternoon, the VA announced a pause on foreclosures for six months when the new program should be working. Officials said loan holders can contact VA's housing assistance program if they need help. Quill Lawrence, NPR News. And this is NPR News.
Welcome back to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, we'll join members and guests of the Tustin Heritage Community Garden as they volunteer to clean up garden beds just before winter. From our recent conversation, Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm in Northeast Pennsylvania shares his garden bed soil regenerative method. Then I share a bit of cultural history on the garden habits of the Lenape Indians. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. It's early November. We're in the Tustin Heritage Community Garden because it's time to put these garden beds to bed. So the community members have gathered here, um, cleaning out their beds, doing what gardeners do at this time of the year, pulling out the last of the harvest and preparing their beds for winter and planting garlic. Now we have some important members of the garden here. They'll introduce themselves and thought we would talk about some of the challenges that we had this year at the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. Hi, my name is Annie Stanley, chair member of the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. Here we are on November 5th. We're putting the garden to rest and we have several people here, volunteers and members and some guests. And we're enjoying some stew and carrot soup. And this year was, I think, monumental for extreme elements. We had a huge drought in the spring, so we had a hard time with our water collection system. Then we had the smoke storms. I think that really affected the pollinators and the birds and uh, maybe even the plants. Then we had excessive rain and heat throughout August. Some of the stuff was really resilient. A lot of our pollinator flower plants, for some reason, did not do well this year. Uh, there weren't a lot of butterflies. Hardly saw any monarchs this fall. Also, I think the tomato plants didn't do well because there was too much rain. And... Other things didn't do well because of the drought, I think, at the spring. They didn't establish well. But we we did have no problem with our membership. We were full house, and people were very motivated and, and like, very patient with the challenges we had. Everybody was pretty optimistic, and some things did really well, and some things didn't. But it's always that way every year. But I think this year particularly noticed the effects of... Uh, the climate unpredictability. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Green, and I'm co-chair, along with Annie and the garden. I agree we had some challenges, but I found for the last couple of years that I've been involved that each year is a different challenge. The gardeners have been great. Some things do well. And um, so we're closing up the garden. We're planting our garlic for next year, harvest. And we're just going to sit down and plan for next year. We're going to write some grants for equipment that we need. We are talking with the Tustin Youth Group and trying to coordinate a 
program where we can involve youth to start plans indoors in the spring, do some workshops, teach about healthy eating, and then transfer that into our community garden so we can get the youth involved in the plantings. And I look forward to next year, and I'm already starting to think about the things I want to grow. (laughs) I agree. Now, with all the challenges that we just talked about, how did your beds do? I know my bed was very prolific in those little tiny ping-pong-sized tomatoes that were sun-orange. I had a prolific produce at the end of the gardening season. My experience with those cherry tomatoes, they always do well. I had the same experience with a cherry tomato plant in my home garden. They just do well. The other tomatoes are a little bit more challenging. I agree. I had some nice beets in my garden, and I did a fall planting, and I planted some kale, some Swiss chard, some more beets, and, uh, you know, we'll see how those grow. Annie, how did your bed do? This year I experimented with fennel, and my fennel did amazing. The garlic, too, onions. I have a lot of perennial things that come back. My arugula was wild. I had a lot of arugula. And, yeah, my tomatoes didn't fare so well. But I'm in the back corner, so maybe I don't get quite as much sun as everybody else. You know what I noticed? In the front beds, some of these perennial, I think they're mountain men. There was an extraordinary amount of bees. The bumblebees seemed very happy here. We do have one bed dedicated to perennials in the front. And... We plant native, we are an organic garden, and we invite the pollinators, so we plant different native plants that the pollinators love, and that's mountain mint. That's definitely one of them, some milkweed. We have some asparagus that we started, and maybe next year we'll get a crop from that. We have certain garden beds that we plant for the members, two beds of flowers, the asparagus and the garlic, and that is for the members here to come and take as they produce. And now, yeah, Mary Millet is donating one of her plots that is totally full of strawberry plants, that we're going to have a strawberry plot next year. The two plots in the front here, those are always designated for perennial flower plants donated from Willowisp Farm. And we got some plants donated from the nursery that specializes in native plants, native trees, native shrubs, native plants. Where will they go? Into our perennial gardens throughout the season. And this year we have expanded our reach and we are now taking care of the DeMauro Lane garden, which is just outside of our fenced-in community gardens. That has fruit trees, and we're going to reevaluate that area and do more plantings. That's grant money, and it will be perennials. And we have to look at natives. We have to look uh, because they're not fenced in. Deer resistance is an issue. But native perennials tend to do better, I think, in drought conditions and, and harsher elements than, you know, vegetables, which need a little bit more care. 
we're planning on how we're going to handle working with Narrowsburg Beautification Group. They have volunteers, and then we coordinate days where they'll come and we'll work together on that area. You seem to have specific knowledge the way you speak. What is your background in this? I worked for the New York City Parks Department as a graphic artist. (laughs) I just love gardening. And it's just a hands-on learning experience. You know, I failed at some things and just a learning experience. Every year I learn something new. Okay. Well, that's the spirit to have. It is part of it is biology and science. Part of it is just the love and being inquisitive. I love having my hands in the soil. That's what I love more than anything. Yeah, we're just waiting for some more people to show up. We're about to plant some garlic. Mm -hmm. And you are? I'm Eric. We live in Milesis, but we we heard about this on the UDC network, and we decided to come in and chip in because we believe in community gardens. Our organization is called Standing People Together, and one of the things we try to do is foster community relations and relations with the natural world. Well, here we are. We may not be standing. We're kind of at a 90-degree angle with hose in our hand, and um, your son's doing a good job over there. Have you ever been here before? I guess last year, for the Big Eddie Festival, there was an opening event gathering here. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time that I had been here. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. But we come to Narrowsburg every day because our son takes the bus to school from Narrowsburg. <laughs> Well, thank you for your service. Enjoy your day over here, and we look forward to seeing you in the community. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rosie. <laughs> I have in front of me a young person that's been uh, volunteered to work today in the community garden. Would you like to tell me your name? Uh, Mika. Hello, Mika. Tell us what your experience was here today, what you liked about it, and what you did. Well, I thought it was uh, very cool. We uh, planted um, garlics. We also... Uh, Got rid of the weeds in some of these plots, and just a nice day. Uh, tell me how old you are. Eleven. You're eleven, and um, I really appreciate that you came in here and shared part of our day, and I I know that I brought some chocolate macaroons and you like them, so and I very much appreciate that. Do you like to do this kind of activity at home? Um. Well, my dad um does have a garden of his own, and he does sometimes invite me to garden with him and when you're not being 11 in the garden what do you do for a spare time uh, soccer mostly i know you're shy i understand completely but i appreciate your ability to play soccer i'm actually envious in my next lifetime i'm coming back as a soccer player i'll look for you for guidance let's hope i get there would you like to be an international soccer player as an adult um yeah yeah. I support Liverpool Football Club. Liverpool, as in, in England? Yeah. I know that word because I was a Beatle fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum's from Liverpool. Your mum's from Liverpool. Well, so were the Beatles. <laughs> the music. You know the musicians? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Tell me your name and tell me what you did today in the garden. So my name is Kristen, and today it was about closing out my plot. It wasn't as successful of a plot during the year, but interestingly today I found tons of tomatoes, tons of cucumber, and the wildflowers actually started blooming uh, very late in the season. So hopefully it will help the pollinators 
What kind of wildflowers did you have? It was a, a packet that I got that said Organic Heritage Northeastern Pollinator Blend. And so it grew a big mixture of wildflowers, but they just they came in really late. We had strange weather, and thank you for your work. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thank you for yours. Thank you for the cider. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm making my way down this pathway here, our mulched path to one of the gardeners that had a very successful garden. Tell me your name. Mary Jones. Hi, Mary. Hi. Tell me what you're doing right now. So I just cleaned up this one of my beds and took everything that was in it that I could pull out. And we are adding mushroom compost, half a bag, to each of these beds and mixing it in before I'm going to throw on some hay to put it to bed for the winter. So next year when I come, it'll be ready to take my plants. And behind me, there's a bed here with strawberries. This is my second bed that I planted two years ago with four strawberry plants. And this is just an incredible amount of strawberries now. It's a four by eight bed. And nearly the entire bed has strawberries all over it right they proliferated i just cleaned up my edge it was crawling out to here it was all, it, it spewed out into the walkway and i had to cut it back what kind of strawberries were they i have no idea literally i bought them in calicoon at the agway and everything in here has to be organic so i looked for four organic strawberries and i don't get any fruit not much came off of these plants a little bit so we're hoping that maybe next year we might get some fruit. So next year the whole bed is going to be donated as a community bed. So all the members of the garden can share and help and take some baby strawberry plants that they have a lot of babies. I love strawberries when they're off the vine. Oh. There's nothing like seasonal ripe strawberries that have not been packaged or traveled. It is true, and I think that the birds are the reason I don't see many. And how could we prevent them from having it? So with four plants, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'll grow them for the birds. But now it could be like a strawberry pie if we could get the strawberries off of it. What are your plans to keep the frost off of them, or doesn't that matter? What are you going to do to this bed? So according to Annie and Elizabeth, I don't have to keep it. They're going to be fine. What I'm going to do is I am going to go in and try and lay some hay down, some straw down in the bed close to the ground. But they'll just die off, but they'll come back. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Thank you for your work. Thank you, Rosie. For Radio Catskill, it's Rosie Starr in Narrowsburg at the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. Early November, putting the garden beds to bed for the winter. The Tustin Heritage Community Garden is located down DeMauro Lane behind the Tustin Cushecton branch of the Western Sullivan Public Library in Narrowsburg, New York. Facebook has more information on the Tustin Heritage Community Garden, or you may write to tustinhcg at gmail.com. The Tustin Heritage Community Garden wished to thank the 2023 season sponsors. Plant donations include Will-O-Wisp Organic Farm, Wild Yarrow Farm, Plant Native New York, and the garlic was donated from Sprouting Dreams Farm. Food donations for garden events include Bridge Street Bakery, Two Queens Coffee, 
now is Burr Proper and the Tustin Cup. The DeMauro Lane Walking Trail's pollinator gardens are supported with funds and volunteers by the Narrowsburg Beautification Group and Sullivan 180. The Tustin Heritage Community Garden has artistic support from the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance. Here is Brent Habig from Two Creek Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. Last week we heard him talk turkey with us. And now, here is a slice of our conversation on the subject of his no-till garden as part of his regenerative farm method. Brent, you also mentioned that you have a garden. You raise vegetables and sell them at the market. Talk about your soil enhancement for your gardens. Do you do crop rotation and or cover crops? Do you use cover crops? We use a no-till system that is quite common for small-scale vegetable farming. Fortunately, because we're on an animal farm, we can integrate a lot of animal manure as the source of fertility. So we're creating our own compost that really allows us to cycle our nutrients. Um, So in general, we're growing into compost in fixed beds that we do not till. We'll you'll call it broad fork. We kind of open the soil a little and then we lay compost in. We do supplement those with minerals from time to time, but we don't add any fertilizers or chemicals and that's working quite well. So those beds, we don't use cover crops for fertility because we're bringing that fertility in from our composted uh, livestock manures. So basically, we cover those beds in the winter and they'll rest all winter and we're not tilling in cover crops. That's a different approach that would build soil fertility in a, in a tillage model. It's the end of garden season. How do you prepare your garden beds for the winter? In the no-till system, we actually don't pull out the, let's say we have kale and we're done with that kale, we won't pull out that plant. We'll just clip it slightly below the soil surface with the idea that that root base will decompose and provide food and space and aeration even as it decomposes for earthworms, nematodes, fungal networks. So the, the idea is we want minimal disruption of that living soil. So we'll just trim any of the plant matter slightly below the soil surface. We'll then remove that and compost that. Then we'll do some light amendments. We might add an inch or two of compost. And then we do cover the beds with a covering that allows air and water to go through. So we're not using silage tarps or things that are basically would kill the life underneath them. So it's just a light covering. It's equivalent of a a heavy shade cloth so that we don't have any new uh, seeds sprouting in the spring. That way when we remove that, it's, it's, we're able to plant directly into it. But all winter then we're able to still have plenty of water and air. So all of that life can, can continue. 
Two Creek Farm is part of the Holy Hub Indoor Market on Main Street Fridays from 1 to 4 and the Honesdale Market Saturdays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. inside the Cooperage at 1030 Main Street. We'll hear more about regenerative farming with Brent in future segments on Radio Catskills Farming Country. In the meantime, more information on Two Creek Farm is available on Instagram and Facebook and online at twocreek.net. Here is a text passage on gardening from the Indians of Lenape Hokan, published in 1985 by archaeologist Herbert C. Kraft. Herbert Kraft consulted with the late Lenape descendant Nora Thompson-Dean to insightfully and factually write about the valued heritage of the Lenape Indians who lived along the Delaware River Valley. The cultivation of maize or corn, beans, squash, pumpkin, sunflower, and tobacco was introduced from the southeastern or southwestern regions of the United States and originally from Mexico, where plant cultivation had been going on for thousands of years. The addition of garden crops contributed to a more varied diet and helped prevent starvation, but seasonally available wild plants, berries, roots, and nuts still provided a large part of the Lenape Indians' diet. Gardens required open spaces, fertile soil, and sunshine. Trees and underbrush had to be cut down and burned, and the soil had to be turned over. Men did the heavy chopping with Celts, which were ungrooved axe heads wedged into stout wooden handles. Men and older boys also assisted with the initial turning and preparation of the soil, but the actual gardening was done by women. The women of a given household or settlement usually worked together during the planting season and in harvesting and preparing the crops for storage. Garden tools consisted of crude stone hoes or shoulder blades of deer or elk that were attached to strong wooden handles. They used digging sticks or dibbles. The Indians had no plows or domestic farm animals, such as cows or horses, before the Europeans arrived. All the work was done by human labor. Maize or corn could be eaten green or ripe, but most was dried for storage. Dried corn kernels were often soaked in water mixed with wood ash. This loosened the hulls and caused the kernels to swell for making hominy. Dried maize was also pulverized in wooden mortars. The finer corn flour was used to make bread, while coarser cornmeal was soaked into sapan, to which beans, meat, and other ingredients were sometimes added. For convenience in storage, ears of corn cobs were braided together by their husks and hung from the rafters. Corn stored in this way was known as hop hongwe. Most corn kernels were removed from the cobs and stored in bark or basket containers. Beans were likewise dried for storage, and pumpkins and squash cut into rings or strips. They were dehydrated as well, 
nuts, fruit, berries, mushrooms, roots, tubers, and even meat, fish, and shellfish were dried for storage inside deep bark-lined storage pits dug into the earth. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week. Special thanks goes to our guests, members from the Tustin Heritage Community Garden and Brent Habig, owner of Two Creek Farm in Lakewood, Pennsylvania. Recognition goes to the Lenape Indians who lived for many centuries along the Delaware River. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Radio Catskills' annual music sale returns the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and it's bigger than ever. Join us at the Liberty Mall for more records, CDs, and musical instruments, plus turntables, stereos, speakers, and other audio components. Whether you're a casual music fan or a serious collector, we have more of what everyone is looking for. The Radio Catskill Music Sale, 10 to 3, Saturday, November 25th, at the Liberty Mall, 15 Sullivan Avenue in Liberty. On last week's Wait, Wait, Skylar Higley was very excited.